Hey gang, it's Katie. I wanted to let you know that there is a minor issue with my audio in this recording. And as a result, about the first 13 minutes of my audio is not the normal quality that you would expect from our show. Unfortunately, stuff happens. Again, it only affects the first 13 minutes or so. And after that, everything is fine. I think it's a minor issue and hopefully it won't affect your enjoyment of the show. Thanks for hanging in there with us. Mac Power Users, episode 441, iOS 10 and watchOS 3. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm great, David. How are you? I'm excited. We got a new iOS to unwrap. And we have a new watch OS to unwrap. And uh, we'll probably have like a new TV OS to unwrap. And all other kinds of goodies that Apple has dropped. Basically, everything we saw at WWDC is finally coming to fruition now. Yeah, and we've been playing with it for a long time. We haven't really said a lot because who wants to talk about stuff that you can't play with? But when you're listening to this show, it will already be in the wild. I would guess a lot of our listeners have already installed it. So this is our chance to kind of unload on what the new features are, what we like about them, what we don't like, and how to get more productive with your iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch. So uh, let's get started. But uh, I guess maybe we should... Should check in first. Uh, David, are you going to be running iOS 10 on a fancy new jet black iPhone? I am going to be running it on a new phone, but it's not going to be jet black. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I did order a new phone. I went back and forth. I, you know, why do, why do I torture myself this way, Katie Floyd? I don't know. But the uh, wanted to get a new phone, wanted to get I, either the, the, the matte black, which they just call black, or the jet black, which is, in my mind, the kind of the piano black. So I read articles about it, talked to a couple friends that were there, and the it seemed like the uh, the opinion by people who have handled them is that the jet black one is a little grippier, which doesn't make sense. You know, it seems like the shinier one would be slippier, but that's not the case. Well, think think iPhone uh, three and uh, three or three G and three GS. Yeah, and, uh, and and but they also heard that it is is quite scratchy, and um, we even heard from some little bird friends that um, not scratchy. It's fine micro abrasions. Well, no, from I heard from a few people that said no, it's really scratchy, and I know. <laughs> so I, you know, at the end of the day, I realized I do like to carry my phone without a case quite often, and I think it would bug me if it was all scratched up. So uh, even though I said on Twitter I was going to order the jet black one when. The the moment came, I ended up ordering just a matte black one, but I, but I, but I kind of screwed it up, Katie. I was supposed to get a, um, I wanted to get it on the uh, payment plan thing. You know, why not? I mean, stretch it out. But yeah, then, I've heard lots of people having issues with that. It, it, it didn't go through and there was some problem. I thought it went through, but I was supposed to do another step or two and I didn't. So when I woke up, I had not ordered a phone. Um, cause I just did it at midnight and went to sleep. So I ordered one the next day. <laughs> you hadn't ordered a phone. How do you mess that up? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> leave it to me. Right. So I, um, I was really tired, uh, but so I, I wasn't really all that sold on anyway. So I woke up the next day, ordered the matte black. I'll get it like a week or two behind everybody else, but I did order a new phone and, and Daisy did end up saying, yes, she wants one too. So we're going to, um, the kids are going to have like Christmas day when theirs come in. You know, they're going to get the the ones that Daisy and I already have. And then their phones are going to Gazelle, you know, the ones that come out the bottom of the system. And we're all set to go. How about yourself? 
So, uh, so you still have two children is the upside of this. They didn't have to duke it out with each other ever who got the downtime. No, exactly. It was like, it worked out for them. They didn't have to fight it out for the one new phone. Instead, there's, I say new, the one, one year old phone going into their pool. Now there's two of them coming to them. So they're going to be very happy. Hey, can I, can I get in on that? Cause I, I'm, I might want to take on one of your kids for your, your iPhone. Why, why not? Just join the, join the party. <laughs> But you do have to take the trash out on Thursday night, please. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll set a due reminder for that. Yeah. All right. So um, I, I got nothing. I no watch, no phone. Um, I slept uh, Friday or Friday night. Although I will tell you that I did. Uh, I did wake up right about three o'clock. And I'm like, what is this? Why am I awake? Yeah, that is weird. <laughs> so I, I've had a bunch of people and, I, and I'm not going to make this a long explanation. Let me try to explain this as, as succinctly as I can. I've had a bunch of people very well meaning send me dozens of tweets and emails uh, tr- with advice on how I can get the new phone and, and make everything well with Verizon. And, and I appreciate that. And I know you're well meaning. Uh, unfortunately, none of this has worked. I have spent hours on the phone um, talking with reps at Verizon. Basically, the problem is this. I'm on a family plan and we're on a legacy family plan that we got years ago back when you used to pay for your phones and, and pay for the subsidy. So you would pay more for your phone. You didn't pay for your phone and your plan. It was all bundled into one price. And it was a higher price because you paid so much for your phone, but it was a cheaper amount because the the rate plan had the subsidy built into it. You know, that's the way we all used to buy phones years ago. And um, so I'm on that plan. My family is kind of on a hybrid plan. We're all on this together. And we're all on slightly different timetables with this. So my phone has come off. I want to get off this train. I want to get off this, you know, buying a new phone every two years. I, I What I, in a perfect world, want to do is just pay for my data, uh, which would be like 20 bucks a month and get on the Apple upgrade program because that seems to be the best thing to do. Um, but what Verizon is telling me is they're saying, no, the, the plan that you're on, um, you, you have to pay X amount of dollars for, for your phone and your data. And I've been trying to explain to them that that's absolutely ridiculous because that higher cost, you know, factors in a subsidy for a phone that's already been paid off, blah, blah, blah. And they said, well, no problem. You just switch over to one of our new plans and and that will be taken care of. But if I switch over to the new plan, the entire family has to come with me and they're not off yet. Their contracts and they switching plans for them turns out to be a much worse deal for them. So in order for them to come over with me so that I can get on the new phone plan, it, it turns out to be a whole worse deal. And I screw them up overall and you know, you've met my mother. If if she ends up having to pay more for her phone because of me, that's not going to be a good thing. So you went for family unity at the end of the day. Yes, that's what I had to do. Now, the, everybody's phone will come off cycle at some point this year. So once that's happened, hopefully we all can get off this crazy train. And then, you know, next year, everybody upgrades their phones and just pays for their data and gets their phones from wherever they want. Okay. Well, um, I, you know, I don't have much more to say. We talked about the new devices in our show. That was kind of fun, by the way, doing a show right after the event and then getting it posted that day. I felt like uh, we were like a news podcast for a week. Yeah, we got to say uh, thank you to Mark for getting that turned around so quickly. Yeah. At the same time, I'm kind of glad that, you know, we're back to do our usual programming. We don't have to be do news based. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, any watches bought in your house? Yes, I did. I bought a new watch as well. I just went 
all the way whole hog. So there you go. I'm, I'm geared up for another year because you're surfing now. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I just, I thought it'd be cool. So I got a new watch. The, um, uh, the, so we're at number 10 for iOS and the relevance of 10. I, it, first of all, it's hard for me to believe that we're at iOS 10. I still remember watching the videos of that cool guy with the glasses. Give us the demo of the original iPhone. Remember those videos? That That's, uh, that's classic. You know, I've got that downloaded on my Drobo. Oh, there you go. And, and so we've gone 10 years and this thing has iterated so much. Um, I think overall having used iOS 10, uh, since way earlier than I should have been using it, that this is a new version that tries to polish a lot. I mean, it doesn't turn the world upside down so much as it, it takes a lot of features and makes them better and easier to use. feels to me like a lot of people, the Apple, you know, using their own product kind of had a list of things they wanted to knock down. And this year they did it. So I, I'm actually really bullish on this update, even though I was using the beta since beta one, uh, it's not never given me a, I'm sorry, I used double negative. It has never given me a lot of trouble. Yeah, I haven't had a lot of bugs or anything. Early in the beta process, there was an issue with the um, with the orientation. It kept switching the orientation. But, you know, when you're in an early beta, you can't really hold that against Apple. Uh, but overall, I, I felt like a really stable beta process, and I suspect that uh, it will roll out swimmingly well. We're recording this a day or two before it goes public. So uh, for all I know, it's just going to be like, things burning down and I'm going to sound really dumb when this podcast goes on live, but, uh, but I, I'm not afraid to install it. You know, some people say you should wait till 10.1 or whatever. Uh, honestly, I would say just install it and enjoy the new features. And this update in particular, uh, a lot of the enhancements and a lot of the features are dependent on developers updating their apps. So many of the things that you're going to see uh, or let me rephrase that, you're not going to see a lot of changes or a lot of enhancements in certain areas unless you have apps that support it or unless your developers have supported it, especially during the beta period as well. You know, Apple, unless you're on betas for developers apps as well, you're not going to see those those things. Yeah, but I'm on some of those and I can tell you everybody's, like a lot of the active developers are getting uh, fully invested in this. And uh, if your favorite app doesn't support all the iOS 10 features right away, there's a good chance that it will pretty shortly. Um, I think maybe we should just take a minute about talking about doing the upgrade. Um, I know it's a lot easier to do this kind of stuff with iOS 10 than it is to do Mac OS. But there's a, a couple power user tips that you should be aware of if you're going to be upgrading the software on your phone. I guess the first question is, if you are getting a fancy new iPhone and you didn't forget to order it at midnight like David did, and you're actually getting it on release day, should you upgrade your old phone before you get your fancy new phone? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bother. Well, I guess that depends. You could do it. I always did, you you know, because it was like two days with the new hotness. I mean, I, I, I could never go two days without upgrading my software. And you could like one of the things we're talk we're going to talk about is uh, backing up your your old device before you do an upgrade. And there's you know you've always got iCloud backup rolling in the background. Hopefully you've got enough storage enabled and you've got that turned on. I think that's a super great feature to have working all the times. But a lot of people don't realize also you can just use the plain old copper wire if you plug in your Lightning port to your USB port on the back of your Mac and load up iTunes, you can still back up your device to iTunes. In fact, we would recommend that, and we would recommend you do it as an encrypted backup, and that gives you a nice, solid backup of your device before you start doing anything crazy. 
Yeah, we like the belt and suspenders approach. So keep doing your iCloud backups. I like those as the default backups. Make sure that you run one before uh, you do any update, but then plug in and do an encrypted backup to iTunes. Now, if you want, you can actually archive a backup in iTunes, but usually that doesn't do you a whole lot of good because typically once Apple form that that's something you typically only do during a beta process. Because once Apple releases a new OS, they typically stop code signing the old OS, so you can't downgrade if you need to for some period of time. They generally wait a little bit longer before they stop signing with a major update, like from 9 to 10, but they will at some point. Yes, and if you're getting a new device, this is another good tip to back up to iTunes with an encrypted backup. Now, you can always restore a new device from a saved iCloud backup, but that actually takes quite a bit of time, depending on your internet speed. It's going to take quite a bit of bandwidth as well, and it's not going to have your passwords in it. However, if you have an iTunes encrypted backup, what you do over the copper wire, and then you go restore a new phone from that same backup, that will allow you to get your passwords over, and that's always good. In fact, that's a good... Uh, argument to go ahead and update your old device to iOS 10, you know, get everything working, then do the backup and then restore the new device from that backup. It's a good way to get it done faster. It'll give you a couple of days to get everything tweaked in your settings just the way you want them on iOS 10. And then it will help you get your new phone set up that much faster. Um, and, and you don't want to miss that little checkbox for encrypted because as David says, it is so important. Otherwise you'll find yourself typing in passwords for days and that's a little checkbox right above the backup button that says check here to encrypt. And it will prompt you for a password if you haven't previously enter- entered one. I don't think there's any reason at this point to not do an encrypted backup. You should always be encrypting your backups because you'll, that way you'll get your passwords back. So one of the first things they talked about uh, iOS 10 is it got a brand new look. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I know it didn't. Th- that's how they preached it. But I don't think it got a brand new look. It's it's it got a refinement to the look. This certainly wasn't like the iOS 6 to iOS 7 transition. Oh, yeah. No, not at all. It, it's not going to you're not going to turn it on and have the whiskey tango foxtrot moment you had a couple of years ago. It's it's recognizable, but it, they did make some refinements. I guess that's a good way to put it. One of the things I, I think that is nice about this new version and kind of the overall UI is that they have started to go in a little deeper with 3D touch. And that's a feature that I don't think got enough credit last year. So 3D touch is uh, found in a couple different ways. One way that you find it is on the uh, springboard when you uh, 3D or you press hard on an icon on the iPhone. Uh, If the app enables it, you can perform functions like one 3D touch feature I use almost every day is I uh, so I hard press on OmniFocus and I can just slide my finger up and, and start inserting a new task. It's very, very quick that way. Um, several other developers are supporting it now and now they seem to have gone a little deeper with it even in the interface for the whole operating system. As an example, if you go into Control Center, you know, Control Center where you drag up from the bottom of the screen, this is something I've always wanted to do, and you you kind of force press on some of the icons, things happen. Yeah, I still don't have 3D Touch. So I could not take advantage of a lot of the 3D Touch Everywhere features because I, d- I don't have 3D Touch. I can't use 3D Touch. That's a feature of the 6S and above. Now, were you using 3D Touch extensively before iOS 10? Because I know a lot of people 
who upgraded to the 6S and just said 3D Touch was kind of a meh feature. Yeah, I think it's something that it's like right clicking the mouse button. And if you're not used to doing it, uh, you can still get by perfectly fine without ever having experienced it. But once you start getting used to it, you'll find you'll use it more and more. Um, I know that it's not that popular of a feature. I, I think part of it is because it only worked on one of the phones. Now it's going to work on phones that have been out for the last two years. So that'll hopefully get more people uh, interested in using it. I think it's always going to be kind of a power user feature, though. I, I think there's a lot of folks out there that don't know exist and will never figure out exists, except when they go to try and move icons and they accidentally trigger 3D touch. Most of what 3D touch is used for, or a lot of what 3D touch is used for now is interactive notifications. In fact, if you don't have 3D touch enabled, you're probably not going to be able to use most of these. So when something comes in, you you kind of press hard on it and it gives you a little preview. It's like hitting the space bar on the Mac. That's kind of the the equivalent, you know, how in the space bar, like the quick look. Yeah, exactly. It gives you like, if you've got a, if you're in the finder on the Mac and there's a PDF and you just hit the space bar, it gives you a quick preview of it, quick look at it. And then from there you can actually open it in an application or not. Uh, with 3d touch, you can do the similar thing. In fact, depending on the app, sometimes you can 3d touch and to bring up a, a quick look and then you press again and it opens the image in an image application or the PDF in a PDF application. It really depends on the specific implementation. But my advice would be start pressing a little bit harder on things occasionally on your phone and you may get a nice surprise. And if you can incorporate that into your day-to-day -day use of the phone, you will get more productive. I know I have been. And uh, one of the things that that's tricky about it is the first time you try, especially for me last year when it was brand new, most of my apps didn't have 3D touch functions, so I just kind of assumed that they don't have them, you know, and over the course of the year, most of the apps got updated to include 3D touch functions. So now a lot of the ones that in my head don't have 3D touch functions actually do. So go through the apps you use the most often and press on them hard and see what happens. Like, it's just I'm sitting here like Airmail uh, doesn't have any, but, but Apple Mail does. And in Apple Mail, you can create a new message. You can do a search. You can look at VIPs and all inboxes. So depending on what, what application you're using, the stuff can get really quite useful. And it allows you to jump into an app and get started right away. I'm looking forward to seeing if, Katie, you use it once you have a phone that supports it or not. I think I probably will. I tell you, when the 6S came out, this was not a feature that was particularly um, interesting to me. I, I think because of the limited things that you could do with it. Um, I, I think now that it's, you know, it's one of those things that it, it really takes time, right? You know, it takes time for developers to fill in. It it takes time to, for um, Apple to figure out exactly what they're going to do with it. So I, I think now that more and more people are filling it in, I think it makes a lot more sense now for, for the seven. And so, yeah, it might be something that I'm going to miss now, especially because it's so built in and so integrated to iOS 10. It's a definitely a power user feature. So we'll see where it all goes, but it's it's worth checking out. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Automatic, the small adapter that turns your clunker into a smarter connected car. Go to automatic.com slash MacPower for information and use offer code MacPower to save $20 off the regular purchase price. Believe it or not, now we're in September and people are going to start asking you what kind of gifts you want for the holidays this year. Don't get a necktie. Get an automatic and turn your car into a smart car. Automatic just launched the brand new Automatic Pro, their unlimited 3G car adapter with no monthly fees or subscription. 
Automatic's a great little device that can plug into just about every car made since 1996. It works on the iPhone and Android devices and takes just a minute to set up. With Automatic, you can track your car, easily file business expenses, and get help in a crash. They have trained responders that can call you for help when you can't. You can even customize your ride by downloading a car app for fun, business, or performance. The Automatic has always been able to connect to your iPhone, but now it's even better. They've got an always-on 3G version that knows where your vehicle is parked at any time and lets you track your vehicle in the case of theft. This new Automatic works with If This Then That for endless customization, connecting your car to the rest of your life. We're hearing from Mac Power users all the time that purchase an Automatic and love it. Some of them are using it to connect to their Nest thermostats so their air conditioning comes on as they're driving home. Others are using their Amazon Echo to find out where their car is parked. Just take a minute to think about what you could do with your car if it was connected to the internet. The Automatic is the tool to pull that off. And with that new version and that always-on 3G connection, it's even more useful. There's no monthly fee. Just purchase your Automatic and get started. Now, the Automatic is normally $129, but when you use our exclusive offer code, MACPOWER, you'll save $20. So as the holidays approach, don't tell your family you want more socks. Instead, tell them you want to make your car a smart car and do it with the Automatic. And send them to automatic.com slash MACPOWER to use the offer code MACPOWER and save $20 off the regular purchase price. Thank you, Automatic, for sponsoring the Mac Power users. You know, another feature I really like with this new version of iOS 10 is, and I think it's kind of um, controversial, is the raise to wake. Have you, have you, what do you think about that? You've been, we didn't even really say, how long have you been using the beta? Oh, I've been using it for a couple of weeks now. Okay. So you kind of came in towards the end when everything was basically working. Uh, what, what is your overall impression? Um, it doesn't work for me at all. The race to wake or iOS 10? <laughs> no, <laughs> race to wake does not work for me. I don't, I don't know if this is a, um, uh, a limitation of the, the iPhone six, but when I go into my understanding is of where this is kept is this is kept in settings and display and brightness. And there is no raise to wake function on the iPhone 10 for me. The, it, it seems like one of the things they've done uh, with iOS 10 or even the last couple iterations of iOS is they've tried to turn that, that lock screen into kind of a notification center kind of widget screen. It's, it, you know, how they have a, like an, an interactive screen on Android phones. I think Apple's answer to that is we're going to have interactive notification stuff when you lift your phone. And that's the idea. You lift the phone and you just see it. Now, with iOS 9 and last year's iPhone, and you're going to find this when you get your new iPhone, Katie, it, it unlocks ridiculously fast. <laughs> the uh, fingerprint sensors got a lot faster. So you never really saw the lock screen with uh, the iPhone 6S. It's just you, you, once you touched it, it was unlocked anyway which became kind of a problem for people. I had ultimately trained myself to turn my phone on, not by pressing the the home button, but instead the on off button on the right side of the screen. And that way I could see the lock screen and interact from it there. Now, if you're not a lock screen person, that's, you know, that's no fun. So you can just, you, you would like the quick unlock feature. But so now there's a couple things they've done. The first one is what they call raised awake. You, you lift the phone off the table and suddenly you see your lock screen. It works for me every time. I just tested it again. works just fine. Yeah, this still doesn't work for me. I, apparently, it's because it requires the M9 coprocessor, pro, co-processor, 
which is on the iPhone SE, the iPhone 6S, but not the iPhone 6. Well, there you go. Now we have an answer to your question. Yep. And then once you press, if you want to continue, then you press the home button and it unlocks the screen. Which is annoying for me because now it's a downgrade. Yeah. And, and so if you're a kind of person that in order to get your phone started, you press the home screen once, the home screen button. Before you just pressed it and kind of let your finger linger there for a second and then it went immediately to unlock. Well, if you do that now, um, it's going to want you to press the button a second time to get past that lock screen where they've got all this information they want you to be able to work from. So depending on which way you roll with this, it either makes things more convenient or it just gets in the way and requires a second button press where there used to be one. It sounds like you're in that second category. Well, I'm in that second category because I don't get the added benefits of raised to wake. I think if I did, I would feel better about it. Yeah, I've already kind of trained myself just to to look at my phone and not press the button. And that gets me the lock screen and the ability to work. And if I want to go from that, I will press the home screen button or I'm sorry, the home button. So I'm a little okay with it. I think there's a software way to turn this off. I should have researched this before the show, but I I think there actually is a software way to kind of revert it to the old behavior. And um, if there is, I'll take a look and put that in the show notes. Yeah, I just checked. I didn't see anything in security, but maybe there is. Maybe I haven't dug deep enough. Yeah, I think it may be even in like, I want to say maybe in the parental controls or accessibility. I don't know, but the... um. We'll get to the bottom of it and we'll put a, a link in the show notes if there is such a thing. Uh, but but it is a different behavior. And, you know, the crazy thing is, you know, slide to unlock, right? That's people used to have T-shirts that said that. I mean, it's not it's not around anymore, though. Slide to unlock is gone. How did that happen? <laughs> right. So after 10 years, a, a something that just made total sense with the version one no longer does. Um uh, and that's just like an example of how they're trying to refine the experience. Uh, another one is the way notifications have changed. And uh, once again, they're they're more interactive. Uh, for a long time, a notification was a static thing that you'd look at. And then it got a little more, I want to say iOS 8, when you could tap on one, it would bring you into the app. And then they try to get it where you could slide on it to do things. But now there's more options available to you. So when you get a message from somebody on your lock screen, uh, you know, getting back to this whole idea that you, the lock screen is a place you can work from now. Um, you can view the message, you can reply to it, you can slide it. There, there's a couple different actions you can take. Now, has any of that um, been appealing to you at all in your two weeks? Yes, for to the extent that certain apps do take advantage of that. Um, yes. By the way, update. It is in accessibility, David, you're right. So I, I can go into accessibility under home button and rest finger to open. I have turned that on and life is good now. Okay. See, I'm glad I could take care of you. I'm a healer. Yes. Healer here. Because I was thinking I was going to have to buy a new iPhone. The, um, the other thing you can do is um, with, the, with the notifications, you can, um, it's not just notifications. Anything on the notification screen got kind of a, a user interface overhaul. I'm not entirely sure whether I like it or not. The new one is a white background. With, upon which app developers can put whatever they want. They can put images, text, etc. cetera. Uh, throughout the beta process, we've had this mixture of apps that properly support it and don't because it's in the beta process. I think this is one I'm going to judge about a month or two after this thing goes you know, live and all of the apps that I use have a chance to incorporate it. As an example, I'm using the beta for OmniFocus right now, and, and they've really done a really good job with the, the way they handle notifications now. 
it actually gives developers more power and more options with these interactive notifications. So I think the developers that really care about this stuff are going to make their notifications better. So you've got the two questions. The first one is, is it better, more user interface? You know, can you do more stuff with it, which gives you more power and allows you to do things before you unlock your phone? And the more of that, the better. I mean, I'm a Mac power user. I'm also an iPhone power user. I want to be able to make this thing dance and sing for me. Um, so the first question is, I think this is definitely a move for the better. Uh, the second question is that just the user interface, the way they've drawn it with this white um, background or this light background. I'm not sure I like it so much. I, I really do like the the old gray background uh, that they used to draw, but that does feel kind of prior iOS 7 stuff. And I can see why they're trying to make it lighter now. And I think a lot of the usability also depends on how locked down you have your notifications, because sometimes for security reasons, and you you can really lock down things that display both on your lock screen um, and in different areas. Now, once your phone is unlocked, then you've got full reign over things. But for example, I've got my phone pretty locked down so that when when my phone is locked, not many things display on the main screen uh, for privacy and security reasons. So like anything, you're going to have to weigh you know, what is more important than you, or excuse me, what is more important to you? Um, because now that we can do so many more things with, with notifications, it, it strikes me as certainly more convenient to have those things displayed everywhere and displayed on the lock screen, uh, but also bigger security risks too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going to give people the, depending on how they set it up, the ability to get in and reply to your notifications, and then they can raise all sorts of havoc in your life. What about the camera? Have you gotten used to sliding yet? Yeah. The, so there's a new feature. If you slide from right to left uh, in the lock screen or the notification screen, you get the camera. It, it, it's kind of interesting just overall. When Apple first shipped the iPhone, it didn't have a camera, I believe. And then that was the second one. They put a lens in. They've got a camera. But then you had to go find an app to get the camera loaded. And it took a long time to load the camera. It seems like every year... They try and make that a little better. They try and make the software boot into the camera faster. Then they added the ability to swipe up and have that control center where there's a camera button. Then they had the ability to swipe up and just um, you would have a camera icon that you could drag up. And now they've gone a step further. Now you just swipe to the left across your screen. There's no target to find. It's just swipe to the left and you've got your camera open and it's ready to take a picture. I think this is really giving acknowledgement to the fact that so many people love their iPhones as cameras. Though, again, I think a lot of this is going to require uh, retraining of years of muscle memory. Well, I think a lot of people are just never going to get it. I mean, the, the, you know, a lot of the st stuff we talk about on this show. No, give them credit. They'll get it. No, I, I don't really. I'm not really sure they will. I mean, I, I think a lot of people aren't that you know, interested in exploring different ways to pull things off. They're not that interested in pushing hard to have 3D touch buttons. And I think they're also, if they've learned over the course of time that the way they take a picture is they put the camera app on their home screen and they press it, that's how a lot of people are going to continue to do it. Not saying everybody, but I think there's going to be a lot of people that don't get that. Um, I think our audience, probably most of them will get it. You just, so, so the thing is you raise to, you raise it, you get the notification screen, you know, raised awake, swipe from left to right. I'm sorry, swipe from right, right to left. And then you're just ready to go and take a picture. I'm pretty used to it already. And it's great because I'm always trying to get a, a quick picture and it's uh, it's nice. How about you? Yeah, I like it. So here, here's what I do to address this. Some people are never going to get it. Problem, David. Um, 
I've, I've got to deal with certain members of my family and they have to want this deal uh, is my aunt uh, in particular got some, got an Apple watch for Christmas last year. And uh, that has really prompted her to to dig more into how she can use these types of things. Mm-hmm. And the deal I made her is I said, and, and she doesn't live in town. So I probably see her, you know, maybe six times a year. And I said, every time I see you, I will give you a tip, a tip for how you can use your watch, a tip for how you can use your phone. Um, Just remind me. And every time I see you, I'll give you one. Um, And that way it's not overwhelming to her. It's not, you know, too much all at once. She doesn't want me to sit down and give her a tutorial. Obviously, if she asks me something, I'll, I'll show her how to do it. But we've, we've probably done four or five now. And it's, it's just little nugget sized things. Maybe slide to camera is going to be one that we give her next. But, you know, I've showed her things like how to how to um, tap and and make her phone ping from her from her wrist because she's, you know, where's my phone? I can't find my phone. Uh, That's how you do that. And, you know, so those little things. Well, that's a completely sane and rational way to do it, because we, we get overwhelmed. Even us nerds, if you sit down and try and learn 20, you know, keyboard commands, you're not going to remember any of them. So. Taking it one step at a time is a great way to go. And then she'll have time to master that before she sees you again. So much of it is muscle memory. But um, anyway, so the camera is easier to get to now. You just, oh, just lift your camera, swipe from the right side of the screen to the left side of the screen, and you're in the camera app. Do you realize you just called the phone a camera? I did, but uh, that's kind of what it is. <laughs> it's a camera that happens to make phone calls at this point. <laughs> All know? right. So uh, let's talk about your text messenger now then. Oh, I, speaking of camera, though, I have to tell you my, about my finches, right? So I have, you know, I, I'm, I'm responsible for most of the wildlife in my neighborhood. What is that? A finch. It's a bird. Oh, okay. So I got the hummingbirds. I got the finches. I've got all these bird feeders, right? So I, I put my camera up on my... um. I use my, one of those little tripods, I put it up on my fence and right outside my bird feeder and put the camera on slow motion and just had it going. Took some great video until a bird pooped on my camera, my phone. <laughs> so you, okay. That's, so which kids get in that phone? Yeah, I told both of them. I said, just full disclosure here, a bird has crapped on this phone. <laughs> I don't think Gazelle has a button for that. No, they, well, I cleaned it very well. It's fine. Oh, geez. I'll, I'll post the vi- video that looks great. It's amazing. You know, is, is there video of the bird? No, no, that didn't happen. That, that, that video, the bird hit the wrong side. <laughs> it's not, not in front of the lens. <laughs> I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor smile for their longtime support of Mac power users. And to tell you a little more about PDF pen, you can learn more about the whole PDF pen family of products by visiting smilesoftware.com slash MPU. Now, PDF Pen is my go-to app for all kinds of PDF viewing, editing, and more. I use PDF Pen on my Mac, PDF Pen on my iPad, and PDF Pen on my iPhone. And you can too, because PDF Pen has a whole family of products, no matter what your needs are. And PDF Pen just released PDF Pen for iOS version 8.1. It's ready for iOS 10 that we're talking all about in the show. And you are just going to love using PDF Pen on your iOS devices. Now, PDF Pen lets you do all kinds of amazing things with your PDFs. PDF Pen for Mac is the ultimate PDF editing tool. And you can have that same power on your mobile device with PDF Pen for iPhone and iPad. You can break that scan, print, fax cycle and do everything in a paperless lifestyle. And you know how important that is to me. In fact, 
I don't even have a fax machine in my new law practice because I do just about everything I need with PDF Pen. PDF Pen allows you to open up PDF documents. You can add text and graphics. You can make corrections. You can drop in a signature. You can do so much more. And you can add an OCR layer to your PDF documents, which means you can highlight the text, you can pull text out of documents, and if you catch a typo at the last minute of a document right before you're getting ready to send it to someone, you don't have to go back and open that document back up in Word and edit it and do anything with it. You can correct it right there using PDF Pen. It's amazing what they can do on the Mac. They also have another uh, tool in their suite. It's called PDF Pen Scan Plus. And what that does is it's a scanner app for your phone, which adds scanning and OCR to your mobile toolkit. And the OCR capability is so important because Mac Power users know that once you can read the text on that page, you can do all kinds of fun things with it using automation, both on your Mac and on your iOS devices. So again, you can head over to smilesoftware.com slash MPU to learn all about the PDF Pen family of apps. And I've heard this guy, Max Sparky, has done a really cool video tutorial series talking about all the fun things that you can do with PDF Pen for Mac and iOS. So go check it out, smallsoftware.com slash MPU. And by the way, as a special treat for those of you who might be attending MacTrack Legal later this month, I'm going to be talking all about PDF workflows, heavily featuring PDF Pen for Mac and PDF Pen for iOS. So I hope to see you all there. Thanks, Smile, for your continued support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Katie Floyd, when we had WWDC, you were a stick in the mud about messages. You're like, ah, I don't need messages. Who cares? I can send a message. What do we need all this stuff for, this fancy stuff for? Has your opinion? Now, you've been using it for two weeks, and you and I have been sending each other pictures of Max. I hand wrote you a note yesterday. Uh, has your opinion changed? Nope. Get off my lawn. <laughs> okay. In, in fact, I don't know if this was intentional, if you were avoiding me yesterday or or what, but I, I, I asked you a series of questions and you never responded to my question. And all I got in response was the happy Mac icon multiple times throughout the day. I just wanted to cheer you up. <laughs> was that intentional? I'm not answering your question. Here's a little sticker for you. Or was that a bug? That was a sticker in lieu of answer. Okay. I had, um, we had a bunch of family stuff going on, but I was showing my wife, um, the stickers and I wanted, I didn't know who to send one to. So I sent one to Katie cause I knew it would always make her happy. So I sent her a happy Mac. Yes. I was trying to get business done and David keeps sending me stickers. I'm like, this not helpful. Okay. But let's give them an overview of the features. So messages is, is as Apple says, one of the most commonly used apps on the phone. I know I use it multiple times a day. It's some days it's my primary means of communicating with my children, even when they're in the same house as me. <laughs> and, um, uh, but, you know, people use messages a lot now. And um, they uh, so they said we need to bring it, you know, bring it up a notch. And there's all these photo and sharing apps and different things going on in the space right now. And Apple decided to look through all their favorite features and all those things like Instagram and other apps and say, let's just boost all of those and put them into messages. I think that's a probably a fair summary. Yeah. So what, what do you get now? Uh, the app has been redesigned. It, it's it's pretty. Um, uh, but you can also do more stuff. Um, one of the first ones that stands out to me is these link previews. So if I send Katie a link to an article at katiefloyd.com, no longer dot me, right? I, I still have it. I still have the dot me, but it is dot com. So I send it to my friend, uh, a link to an article Katie wrote at katiefloyd.com. Uh, it's going to have a little preview of that article there where 
people can get in it depends on how it's formatted and you know things change but it's it's really quite nice i i i approve of that feature okay <laughs> and that's something that just happens you get it for free you type in a link and and it works for you um the um another thing i like is well i'm not sure how much i like this part is what they call background animations and that's where you can make fireworks go off or a laser light show or confetti I do not approve of that feature. I just realized I have not sent you any fireworks or confetti. I need to see if there's an accessibility feature to turn that off. I'm going to send you so many, Katie. I'm going to go look. I love it so much. Yeah, my like this is one that I think could become kind of fun once in a while, like on a birthday or something, but completely unbearable if used all the time. And I just see, I'm really curious to see how this all plays out. Like there are certain members of my family that I know are going to abuse this uh, to a great degree. <laughs> I can't wait to see how that all plays out. But that, you know, whatever. Um, one of the things I don't like about text messaging is I think it's very hard to communicate um, emotions and thoughts quite often using just words. And sometimes someone will send you a um a message and you know you answer ask them a question they give you a simple yes or no and it's really easy as humans to read something into that like did he say that ironically or did he say that angrily and you don't know and it causes all sorts of, of trouble between humans when we don't understand each other and text messaging is such a poor medium in a lot of ways so to me uh, all these changes, and not just this one I'm about to stop, talk about, but all of them are really engineered to kind of let you communicate more. Like if if I send Katie a happy birthday with fireworks going off in the background, she's going to know I'm really excited about her birthday. Wouldn't you be excited? I would be so excited. Okay. Well, you know, Katie aside, <laughs> most people would be excited. I would be excited if someone sent me that. I'm looking at accessibility and there is no curmudgeon option. Well, that's okay. At least now you can complain about it for years. <laughs> okay. The, the other thing you can do, though, it's not just sending fireworks. It's it's actually the text itself. Um, when you, you you type a message, you know, usually um, you type a message and there's a little arrow on the right, sc right side of the screen. And if you just hit enter or return, it just sends a message. But instead, if you hold it down, there's options there. One of them is slam, where it kind of makes it big and just slams it down. It's like do you want to go get uh, tacos with me? And if I slam down, yes, it's like, yeah, he really wants to have tacos with me. Uh, the next one under that is loud, which is, is the text is larger and it kind of conveys loudness. Uh, the next one is gentle, you know, like for instance, if I get in trouble with Daisy, maybe I'll send her one that says, I'm sorry, gently, you know, which tells her I'm not being uh, a jerk about it. Uh, or I probably should just call her or talk to her. But anyway, um, and, and then the last one is invisible ink where you get these kind of pixelated dots. And then when you swipe it, it, it gives you the message, which is kind of fun. Now, all of those things allow you to convey more than simple words. And I think that's a good thing. And it doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> I'm just sending one to Katie right now as we talk. Yes, I'm, I'm very excited about that. So. There there are a couple of features. You didn't mention actually my my favorite one, one that I actually like, and that's the tap back feature. And that one actually that's another way to communicate. So explain that. So tap back is if let's say you send me a text message, you sent me one earlier today that said you were running 20 minutes late. And I, I don't remember, I think I actually responded. But with tap back, you can actually select the message that somebody else sent you, and it's kind of like a mini emoji. 
you can you can tap that message and and you can give a couple of of small responses and and the one that I send most often is you, you've got a heart thumbs up thumbs down ha ha exclamation point and question mark so I think the only one that I really use of this one is is thumbs up but it's uh, to me it's just like an acknowledgement got it good we're we're confirmed it's kind of easier than me saying okay or no problem it's like adding an emoji to someone else's message right. That's great, you know, and it's great because like someone could send you a message that says, do you want peanut butter and jelly? And, you know, can I buy, can I borrow $10,000? Right. (laughs) You know, they send you two messages, right? And you could give them a thumbs up emoji back and it would be confusing to them whether you just agree to give them $10,000 or whether you wanted peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Whereas with this, you could actually give the thumbs up or thumbs down to individual messages, which makes it more communicative. I, I mean, I think all of this stuff really is done with a good reason to make it easier to give information across in this very simple thing. Uh, it gets a little more, I think, um, whimsical after that. They've got a feature called Scribble, which is it allows you to literally just scribble something on the screen. It's like we used to have on the Apple Watch, you know, where you can draw a heart or do something like that and send it through. Um, and there's really two implementations of this. There's one where you can just write things out, you know, in your own handwriting. Uh, and I find this kind of fun once in a while when I'm on my iPad pro and someone sends me a message and I send them a handwritten response. It's kind of like, it's shocking to people right now. I guess that they'll probably get old after a while, but they also have the one that's kind of the black screen where it animates the, um, the drawing like we used to have on the watch. And that's kind of fun. Uh, I've seen you a couple of those, Katie. You've never responded to those. You have a very nice drawing of a lightning bolt. Yeah, I'm sparky. I got to I got to get that down, man. Yeah, you probably practiced that. Now, did you do those on the iPad with the uh, with the pencil? Or are you doing those freehand with your finger on the phone? The uh, the one of the lightning bolt I did with my finger on the phone, and the one where I wrote you a message was with a pencil on an iPad. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people are speculating as to whether or not the pencil support will come to the iPhone. We certainly did not see it this time, but it would not surprise me if we see that at some point in the future. Yeah, yeah, they didn't announce it, and I suspect that if, yeah, I don't know. I don't know when we're going to get that. I sent you I sent you something the other day. I sent you a GIF. Yes, you did. I think this is the first time I've ever sent a GIF in iMessage before. Well, tell people how you do it because it's um this is this is confusing to a lot of folks and it got easier with this version. I, I did not know how to do it before. I've never done that before. So in the in the message, you um how how did I do that? I just started searching for uh GIFs. So I, I loaded up the um how did I uh, loaded up the apps? Uh, I clicked. The, so there's now a, an app tab. And if you click on the app tab, you can scroll the options. And the first option is for your sticker packs. Right now, the only sticker packs that you can, as we're recording this, the only sticker packs you can buy are from Apple during the beta period. But there will be sticker packs available for launch. In fact, just to be clear, there will be a gazillion sticker packs available by the time this goes live. Thousands of sticker yeah. packs. Yes, that will be the next thing. Um. The the middle button inside the apps currently is music, so I could I could send you some music to listen to. Uh, and the third one is an image search, and so you can uh, search a static image or you can search regular images, and it will give you popular images, or you can search. So I just searched for Star Wars, 
And I sent you a very cute, I sent you my, my favorite scene from the new Star Wars movie. And that's where BB-8 gives Finn the thumbs up. And it wasn't that hard, right? No, it was pretty easy. I just searched Star Wars and there it was. And this this whole, in fact, we should just talk for a minute about this whole new, there's essentially an app platform inside the Messages app. And app developers are starting to take advantage of it. Uh, one of the apps we talk about often on the show is a little app called Drafts. And Drafts is just a super easy way to get text into your computer and make things happen. Um, well, Drafts now has an integration into the Messages kind of apps platform. So one of the apps I have on my version of iOS 10 and everybody else that has Drafts will have this once they release this update which I believe will come out right with the release of iOS 10. Yeah, I know he was finalizing it soon. Yes. So the dra the drafts that you have dictated into the app are now available to you in messages. So if you've got two or three things that you want to send off as messages to several people, that's a super easy way to get to it. Um, th there's basically, they just built a window into the messages app now that, that not only sticker makers, but also app developers can address. And, and that just opens up a whole lot of new options for you. It's great. One thing I have always wanted to do, and I, I've been working on kind of a convoluted drafts workflow to do it, and I, I think I can do it with drafts, but I, I want an easier way with like a drafts and a do workflow. But what I want to do is I want to be able to send a delayed text message. And a lot of it is I wake up, you know, several hours before you do, David, because of the time difference between us. And similarly, you go to sleep several hours after I do because of the time difference. And so... um I don't want to send you a text message at 6 a.m. my time because that will be 3 a.m. your time. Although maybe I should have saying, I don't think you ordered your iPhone. You might want to go back and look at that. <laughs> but uh, I, I want to send you a text message that says, uh, you know, at, at 10 a.m. at 10 a.m. my time, send David a text message. And I think that type of thing will now be possible with apps. I have not seen any in beta yet, but if any developer out there wants an idea, I want a delayed send text message feature in iOS. Well, I think all this stuff, you know, there's a lot of options open now that we didn't have before. So that's good news. I, I don't know. Overall, I'm I'm excited about messages. There, there, There's a limited number of people that I've been enjoying these features with because there's a limited number of my friends that are in the beta. Um, this is something that obviously is going to get much better as it gets gets more wide adoption. I think Katie's right that this is something that can be abused. <laughs> I, I, you know, they're going to have a set of, at some point, there's going to be a set of stickers uh, that are Mickey Mouse related. And my wife is going to be using them every day, often. <laughs> well, and there's, there's also a lot of room for an infringement here. Oh, yeah. But, you know, that's, that's Apple's problem, really, right? I mean, they're, they probably will enforce it, or maybe they won't. But, uh, you know, they, they have the ability and the uh, horsepower to make that not happen if they want. Uh, but the, uh, but I do think that overall messages is is more delightful to use. And I think it does allow you to convey things a little easier than before. And even if you're like Katie, you don't like all the fireworks and all the, the fancy stuff, uh, the, the ability to give thumbs up to a message. I mean, just stuff like that is going to make it a better process. And, and what we really didn't get across is this new interface. When you're typing a message, there's a little arrow at the bottom. Let me just make sure. Yeah, there's a little arrow and you tap that. And from there, you can get access to the camera and it shows your most recent pictures, but also gives you a live view of whatever your camera sees. You can get into the apps, you can get into the scribbles. It's really easy to, to use all this stuff. 
And I think it's just going to make it more likely. In fact, I would predict that a lot of people are going to pick up on this stuff easier than they do the, you know, swipe to get to the camera. And and I think that'll make the phone better. Um, one of the features that is not dis- necessarily fun about text messages, but that I really like is selective read receipts now came in messages. So this was a way that if I sent David a message, once he opened it and looked at it, now if he looked at a notification center, I couldn't tell, but if he opened the message and looked at it, it would, it would say red underneath it. And I like read receipts, but I didn't necessarily like sending them to everybody because there are certain people who I kind of want to avoid and don't want them to know that I've read their message. But there's certain people, um, like maybe members of my immediate family or David, who I want to know that, yes, I've seen your message, I've got it, because maybe I'm not going to reply, maybe no reply is necessary, but I, I do want you to know that I saw your message. And so I really like that. Messages is better, gang. I like it. Um, so, David, I, again, we're uh, our listeners are going to be tired of this, but we do have breaking news because Apple, just as we're recording this, launched the um, the App Store for Messages. Oh, really? And there is a $1.99 Star Wars sticker pack from Disney. Done. Just done. I think I might even have to buy that so I can mess with you. <laughs> my um, my daughter and her friends were collecting strange messages from their mothers, and I was looking at them. <laughs> it's funny. You know, it's a generational thing. I guess I'm part of the old folks now, but we do send strange messages to our kids. All right. Uh, I like it. Uh, Katie and I, the fact that crazy messages drive you up a wall just gives me one more reason to love iOS 10. That's all I'm going to say. And I, I have a feeling that I will be getting lots of crazy messages from you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Fracture, the photo decor company that's out to rescue your favorite images from the digital ether. Learn more at FractureMe.com slash podcast, and don't forget to mention Mac Power users and their one-question survey. As you're listening to this ad spot, I'd like you to think about how many pictures you've got on your hard drive. I know in my family, we've got 30,000. I don't think I'm that much of an edge case anymore, because we've got these great phones in our pockets, and we're taking pictures all the time. The trouble is that for as many pictures as we take, we don't put any of them on the wall anymore. Why are we taking all these pictures if we're not going to enjoy them? Well, that's the problem that Fracture can solve in your life. Fracture prints your photos directly onto glass. To get a Fracture print on your wall, just go online and upload the picture you want to use. A little while later, you'll get it in the mail and it looks gorgeous. Pull it out of the box and use the included anchor to hang it up. The method they use at Fracture to process the print really makes it look beautiful. It adds color and contrast to your photo and they really pop. Best of all, the frameless design lets your photos stand out while matching any decorating style. I've purchased Fracture prints for my home and given them away as gifts to my friends and family. Everybody loves them. One power tip is to get several Fractures, and then you can rotate them seasonally. And be sure to ask them about professional and bulk order discounts before you order. All Fractures come with a 60-day happiness guarantee. So you're sure to love your order. And each fracture is handmade in Gainesville, Florida from U.S. source materials in their carbon neutral factory. Fracture takes all of the work out of taking those beautiful pictures you've taken, getting them out of your computer and putting them on your walls. For more information and a discount off your first order, visit FractureMe.com podcast. And don't forget to mention Mac Power users in their one question survey. It helps support the show. 
Once again, that's FractureMe.com slash podcast. And thank you, Fracture, for supporting the Mac Power users. Okay, we spent a lot of time on messages. Let's talk about some of the other stuff that changed in iOS 10. Uh, something that I have immediately um, appreciated about iOS 10, and it's, it's way better than iOS 9, is the redesign in the Maps app. Yes, I agree. And this was something uh, that was definitely needed. It's it's overall cleaner. It looks better, but it also got some feature updates. Yeah. Let's talk about the cleaner and looked better part first, though. Uh, I use my phone for, for directions. Um, years ago, I bought one of those really good suction cup things that goes on the windshield. I keep it actually in my glove compartment. I don't need it that often. But when I'm going somewhere, I need directions. I stick it to the window and I tell Apple Maps through, you know, I say, hey, you know who, give me directions to, you know, where. And it, it gives me directions. But it's always been difficult when you're driving down the road to say, like, how much longer do I have to go or where's my next turn? I feel like the the original design of Apple Maps for driving directions uh, focused too much on being kind of cutesy and not enough on being really practical. And now it's super practical. The font sizes are large enough that it's easy to read while you're looking at the road. Um, the directions are clearer. Uh, the additional information is super useful. Um, have you used uh, Apple Maps to drive anywhere since you installed the beta? I've been using it like to drive around town. I, I haven't actually gone on a trip with, with it be just because I haven't gone on a trip in the time that I've had the beta installed, but I have been using it to to drive around town and I, I do like it. I mean, the directions are still the same. It's still the same basic directions database, but the heads up display is better. The, the icon, uh, the icons are better. Um, and you can, you can do things like it. You can take detours or you can pause it. It's a lot easier now to navigate. Now, if you've given up on Apple maps, I know there's a lot of people out there that prefer Google maps uh, because of the design. I would recommend giving it another shot with this iOS 10, because I, I really, I frankly prefer it. And I think part of my, 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 the reason I've never been a, a big Apple Maps hater is because I live in California. And I think Apple's done a really good job with the directions in California. I know that there's parts of the country that's not true, but um, it works fine for me. And this new design makes it all the better. So you're in for a treat if you like to use Apple Maps to get places. It, it's way better now. But they did more than that. Like one of the things they did, I was, um, uh, out with some friends, Allison Sheridan. You know your pal, Allison? Yeah, you guys like had a meetup and didn't tell me. Okay, Katie, I've been dying to tell you this. Okay, so we I went and spoke to a group of really smart, um, uh, authorized Apple uh, repair people in L.A. And afterwards, uh, Allison Sheridan happened to be there. And she says, Dave, I need you to, you want to go with me to this thing up in, by Paramount Studios? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll go out to dinner. I haven't seen her for a long time. So I go to dinner with her and her friend, Steve, or her husband, Steve. It's across the street from Paramount Studios. You know Paramount, the place that they filmed all the Star Trek? Yes, I'm aware of it. And it happened to be on the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. And it happened to be a dinner for a bunch of people that worked on Star Trek. I mean, like people who did the makeup. In fact, the table next to mine, there was a very nice gentleman there. He wrote the, the Tribble episode. <sighs> I, I was sitting there thinking, oh, do I, it was like an existential crisis. Do I tell Katie about this? I saw some tweets about it and I was like questioning what was going on. I, I do. I tell Katie about this and make her want to like rage kill me or, <laughs> or do I just lay low? So I ultimately decided to tell you about it on the air. Well, you decided to tell me about it after it already happened and there was nothing I could do about it. And when I can't, yes. Well, you know, what can I say? really nice uh, bunch of people that worked on Star Trek. We had a great time. It was the 50th anniversary. So that's how I spent the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. But 
to, to tell the story. So I, I was telling our friend Allison and how maps is so much better. And she's like, well, the one thing I hate about maps is you can't scroll around while it's giving you directions, which was true on prior versions. Like if it's giving you driving directions, you could not just like move the map around and see what's going on elsewhere on the map. And that's all fixed now. It's great. You can screen, you can pinch and move. And frankly, eventually it will reset itself if you don't reset it automatically. One of my favorite things is it's easier to detour now. So most people, we use maps when we're traveling and we're not necessarily familiar with the area. And if I decide I want to get coffee or I need gas or I need to go somewhere else, that's very easy to do within maps without maps going crazy and freaking out on you. And it's not just detours that you create. It also creates detours for you. Like uh, when I was in Los Angeles going to Paramount Studios, it was LA is just a traffic nightmare. And uh, when I was on the freeway, it said, hey, there's an accident up ahead. We can save you four minutes if you take this alternate route. Would you like to? I said, sure. And of course, it takes me through some other cities in L.A. or other streets in L.A. and I get there a little earlier than I I should have. So uh, maps is just a lot better. Uh, Anything else on maps or should we move on to photos? Let's go to photos because that's the other big thing. Yes. And you've did the whole Max Barkey field guide on photos. Is there an update forthcoming? You know, I think I'm going to do one. I'm just trying to figure out how to do it. It's a, you know, it's a video field guide. So that's like a month's work to create one of those. And I don't know if I should go back and just start from scratch or do a follow up with the new features. I'm kind of leaning towards the second. That way I can give it away for free to people who've already bought it. But the, um, uh, but let's just talk about what they changed. Um, the, you know, there's this ongoing issue about, I guess, machine learning for lack of a better term. And I think Google really, in a lot of ways, has raised the bar. With Google Photos, when you upload something to Google Photos, you're giving them access to your photo database. And I don't think they, you know, they take that access to do terrible things with it, but they do have access to your photos. And then because they have access to your photos, then they can go and analyze it and do all sorts of cool things. I mean, one of the things people like is you upload a bunch of, all your photos to Google. And then you say, Hey, I want to find a picture of a bird. You know, I know I have some bird pictures. I want to see the bird pictures. You type in bird on the web with Google photos and it goes and, you know, the Google servers, you know, know what a bird looks like. They scrub through your photos. They find the pictures of birds for you. And that as Mac users and Apple users, we have, I've always been a little jealous of that feature, frankly, since it came out. Um, The problem is, you know, in order to give, get a computer to do that for you have to give it access to your pictures and and there's this ongoing issue with apple with privacy and access to your data and apple has taken the role or the the position that they are not going to want to have access to your data i've been talking a long time uh so what's your feeling on let's just talk about that debate a little bit where do you stand on that well i think there are pros and cons to it on a philosophical level I I like that. I like the fact that Apple doesn't want access to my data. I like the fact that Apple's not looking at my photos, uh, that they don't know what I have in there. On the other hand, many people would say, I don't care. I don't have anything in my photos that I don't want anybody else to see. If my photos got out on the internet or got hacked or whatever, it it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world uh, because I'm, I'm pretty, you know, vanilla, whatever. I would rather have the features. I would rather it'd be better because I think people across the board say, you know, Google still does this better because they can bring the full resources and the, and the full, you know, machine learning that the, um, the Skynet that Google has. 
Yeah, and exactly. And that's the issue, right? Because we want the best experience, but we also want some degree of privacy. And nobody can ever figure out where the balance is. And frankly, the balance is different for every person. Right. And, but Apple and Google have each made the choice for us. Google has said, this is how we're doing it. And Apple has said, this is how we're doing it. And, and I, I understand why. And I think you just have to pick one. I don't know if there's a way that they could have said, click here, you know, by default, we're only going to put your your photos on your devices if you want to have a higher level of recognition and a higher level of functionality, we will put them in the cloud. But that that opens up so many cans of worms. Yeah. So so with Apple, like we've talked about Apple photos in the past, you're saving your photos to the Apple cloud. But Apple has in essence, lock themselves out of those pictures. They they don't see it, you know, unless you have your account credentials, you you don't get into it. And they've said very publicly, we are not going to go in there and yank your pictures to do computer data stuff. So I, I kind of was under the impression that I have to accept not whether or not I want the Apple version or the Google version. I had the accept the, uh, whether I wanted just privacy and not having that feature or Google with no privacy and and getting that feature. So at WWDC this year, Apple comes out and announces, we have our own machine learning we're doing now. We've been working on it very hard. The difference is we are not doing it on a server in Cupertino or somewhere in the world. We are enabling your phone to do that search for you. So face detection, object detection, all that stuff is now happening on device. This is really an interesting take. So it's they're not saying that the servers that Apple have are going to be analyzing your photos for you is that your phone is going to be analyzing the photos for you. And so now when you install, so what does this mean? Uh, If you've installed iOS 10 and you've opened the photos app, it may give you a screen saying, Hey, we're doing something with your pictures. Give us a little time here. And it takes a day or two depending on the number of photos you have. But the, the little chip inside your phone is doing the same thing that the Google massive server firms are doing. It's going to go through and analyze your pictures. And your phone knows what a picture of a duck looks like, and it knows what a picture of a mountain looks like. And when it's done, you're going to be able to type terms into your phone, and it's going to do a, a pretty credible job of finding those pictures. Like uh, I did one with dog. I was looking, we were talking about an old dog that my sister-in-law had, and we wanted to find a picture of it. So I typed in dog, and it found uh, you know, the 62 pictures of dogs that I've got on my 30,000 pictures and scrolling through those 62 pictures, we found that dog we were talking about. So it's pretty cool the way it works. Um, there's limitations. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But just overall, um, have you tested the feature and what did you think of it? It's OK. It's it's not great. I, yeah, I, I couldn't really think of what I wanted to to test this with. I mean, I don't have lots of pictures of dogs or cats or or things like this, but I, I, you know, I did manage to find a few um, faces are the big things that I wanted to to test out because m- most of my pictures are of of people. Um, you know, I think if I typed something, you know, a lot of my pictures are of places or of things, and you know, those I can all find by by location. I I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was great. Okay, did you not think it's great because it was poor at doing the job, or you're just not that interested? Um, I, I thought it was okay at doing the job, and I think my library did not necessarily lend itself to this type of feature. Okay, and, and something you mentioned that we didn't really get into yet is it does face detection as well. That's what I was more interested in, and and that I thought was maybe 
I thought it was about as good as it's been on the Mac, which was maybe 75, 80%. Yeah, it's not perfect, uh, definitely, but it does go through and do face detection and it'll find the pictures of the same person. Uh, what I find is occasionally I've got a couple people in my family that it created two libraries for. So I've got two different face sets for the same person. And, you know, this stuff is all kind of a work in progress. But the fact is now um, you are getting this kind of machine learning going on on your device. And it does add a significant feature, you know, in, in my experience. And uh, as much as I've always wanted to have that Google feature, I kind of wanted it because it existed. <laughs> uh, since I've installed it, I've used the, like Katie, I've used the facial feature to find people. I've used the feature to find a picture of a dog. There's a, I've used it maybe two or three times, like in action since I've installed it several months ago. I don't think it's going to be something I use all the time, but I do like now that you can type a term in on the phone and it'll go find it. So, so what are a couple of things you need to be aware of? Uh, the first is that first, like I said, that first analysis is going to take a while. I, I was going to say just FYI, it found no cats in my library, but it did find cat six cable. Oh, did it? Just, <laughs> just so you know what my library consists of. Well, you know, something, some of that doesn't surprise me. What about tribbles? Can I find tribbles? I'm typing in Klingon now. Or Batleth. <laughs> no Klingons in my library. And you know what? That's a good point, Katie. Let's just talk about that now. Um, Katie likes Klingons. I like Yoda, right? Um, not all of those things are searchable in this library. And I think Google does a better job of finding new search terms because Google is going to be keeping track of every search that's ever made on its database, right? That's what Google does. So if they suddenly see that 10,000 people have tried to search for pictures of Yoda, they're probably going to take some steps to make sure that Yoda is searchable in the photos database. I'm not sure how well Apple is going to do at keeping up with that. I'm sure they're going to try and keep that updated list. I don't know how many different things it searches for now, but they're all fairly generic. And they're the kinds of things you would think about, like mountains and beaches and snow and dogs and cats. And I think it's, it does a good job of that stuff. But are they really going to search for Yoda? You know, are they going to really search for a bat lift? And I think that Google probably will, if they do, probably earlier than Apple does. And I think that kind of comes down to the way in which the, the data is treated. Um, Apple doesn't want to know really what you're searching. That's kind of their whole thing. Um, but either way, so you've got this feature. Um, the, the big question I've asked, and I've written about this at Max Barkey, if you follow my website, is to me, there is some percentage of Google efficiency here. And I can't really put my finger finger on what it is. Is it 80%? Is it 40%? I don't know. But I guess it depends on the person. But are you willing to take some lesser percentage of this search feature plus privacy of your photos as opposed to, you know, not having the privacy and having 100% of the Google functionality? And I think that's the question people that are thinking about this need to ask themselves. And um, if the Apple features aren't good enough and it's clearly far behind, uh, I may be willing to say, okay, I'm going to throw the switch at Google. And in fact, I have thrown the switch because I'm trying to compare and write about this stuff. And there is a Google Photos app for iOS. You can you can do that, too. But honestly, I think Apple has done a really good job with this. And, you know, it's like when I was at WWC, I saw Craig Federighi. He spoke at the talk show party, you know, John Gruber's thing he does for talk show. And and this question came up and these guys at Apple, I mean, Federighi is a big guy at Apple. 
they really take personal offense to this general notion that Apple can't do this type of stuff on your device for you, that that somehow they're incompetent to provide it. And, you know, just like Federighi said, look, we don't need to look at your pictures of mountains to figure out what a mountain looks like. You know, we can still basically saying we can still respect your privacy and still give you these features. And honestly, I'm a lot more comfortable with that answer than I am with one that says, just give it all to us and we'll figure it out. I mean, if the shoes were switched, you know, if, if Apple was the one that said we want access to everything and Google was saying, no, we're going to try and find a way to protect your privacy, but still give you some of these features, I'd probably be using the Google service. But that's just me and everybody has to make their own decision. Um, let's talk about memory stacks a little bit. This is something new that Apple released, and it's kind of the, the take on the quick slideshow. Um, or, hey, we'll, we'll make a quick slideshow based on, um, you know, this event or this day. Uh, I saw one pop up yesterday for the best of the last three months. And I thought that was interesting. And I said, well, you know, it's been an interesting three months. Um, I've launched a new business. I've had several weddings. Let me play that and, and see what it is. And, and these <laughs> okay. these mem- memory stacks. What did you get? <laughs> like I got some interesting things. Um, you know, these memory stacks, you can you can you can slide. Do you want it long? Do you want it short? How how long do you want it? What kind of music do you want in it? Um, and it was it was interesting. I don't know how it chose my photos. But I've I've had a ton of photos in the last three months because, you know, everybody sends me these wedding photos and I'm on all these albums where people are sharing these wedding photos. So it had a lot of content to choose from. So I got a good number of photos from my brother's wedding, but not necessarily my favorite photos. Uh, You know, a lot of it was, you know, pictures of other people or other families that weren't mine. So that was weird. Um. I got a picture of we were in a hotel and it had like the Wi-Fi or a a condo and it had the Wi-Fi password on a sticker on the router. And I had taken a picture of it with my iPhone camera and I guess I hadn't deleted it out of my camera roll. And that showed up. Well, hey, it brought you the Internet. That's pretty cool. It did. Um, (laughs) And then there was also a photo of a refrigerator because I bought a a mini fridge for my uh, (laughs) for my office. And I'm just like. Well, I I wouldn't call that the best of the last three months, but okay. So so it sounds like the best of need some work. It it I think it was more so a random collection of the last three months. Yeah, I was something I like that they do with these stacks that they have now. And so what it means is when you open the photos, it gives you some immediate you know context for browsing. Like it shows you not only just the best of the last three months, it'll show you the picture to Napa like three years ago. It'll have a little gallery it's created or a birthday party or a year, you know, this day in history or whatever. They've got these different ones they generate. The ones that are based on on a, a special event or a location are generally pretty good. And I have found uh, with the family going through opening photos, it gives us kind of a jumping off point. Because a lot of times, what do you do in the photos app, right? You open it, there's this massive database of photos. You don't even know where to start. This gives you kind of a place to go and, and enjoy photos. Uh, the other thing they do with these date event slash geographic location albums, I think they even do it with the best of is they make a little movie just kind of on the fly where they do a Ken Burns effect. They move the images around. They play a little bit of music. Um, I've gotten some enjoyment out of that. And uh, the people in my family have as well. So uh, there's some nice stuff here in photos. Uh, some of it's still a little goofy. I think they still are. Com- they still haven't completely figured out the whole search on device thing. They have. A, they certainly need to do some more work with facial recognition. Uh, but 
Photos is a lot more powerful now on your iOS device than it was before. All right. Uh, that was a lot on photos. Anything else we have? Oh, we should talk about if we haven't yet. How do you get started with this? Because it's not like it just works overnight. Well, it does kind of work overnight, but you have to do a few things. Yeah. Turn, yeah. Turn it on. Open the photos app. It'll it'll prompt you when you first get started and then do it when you're home, plugged into your Wi-Fi and, and plug your phone in and just let it go. And it may take a, a day or so to get it all sorted out. Yeah. It may take a, a few days, depending on how big your your photo library is because it has to process all this on the phone and it's it's not going to do that until it knows that it's connected to wi-fi and it has at least a certain level of charge so if you don't charge your phone up regularly or if you don't charge it all up just plug your phone in overnight and after a couple of nights it should be done and here's a corker it doesn't sync that stuff because apple is you know in privacy and all this doesn't sync the metadata over to your other devices so when you open your ipad it's going to do the same thing and the results are not necessarily going to be entirely consistent. So have fun with that. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. It is the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your website today at squarespace.com and enter offer code MPU at checkout to save 10% off your first purchase. I love Squarespace. I use it for all of my websites. I've used it for my personal website, katiefloyd.com, and I've used it for my new law practice website at floydlaw.net. Why? Simply because it has easy-to-use tools and templates. It helps you capture every detail of what is important to you. I love that Squarespace puts all the power you need right in your hands, and it takes away all the pain points. You don't have to worry about hosting. You don't have to worry about scaling. You don't have to worry about what happens when you get stuck. You don't have to worry about backend databases. You don't have to worry about backing up your website. Squarespace just takes care of everything and lets you build a professional-looking website, regardless of your design skill, with no coding required. You'll be easily able to make a website that looks and feels exactly how you want. And Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology to help you power your site to ensure security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. Their site templates are stunning to look at, and this is where it all starts. They all feature responsive design. They make your site look great no matter what size of the device. But this is just getting started. You pick your template, and then they are endlessly customizable so that your site doesn't necessarily look like someone else's site who built with Squarespace. You can choose colors. You can choose layouts. Uh, you can completely customize your site to your heart's desire. And they have Amazing features like 24-7 live chat and email support. So if you get stuck, there's always someone there to help. They have teams located in New York, Dublin, and Portland who are always there to lend a hand. And if you want to sell things on your website, that used to require a whole different platform and lots of complicated things to set up, but not anymore. Squarespace just integrates it. They can allow anyone to easily add a store to their Squarespace site. And if you just need something simple, you can take a look at a Squarespace cover page. It's a single, great, one-page website that's easy to use and will get you up and running fast. And if you want to stretch Squarespace even further, you should check out their dev platform. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month, and you can start a free trial with no credit card required. So start building your website today by going to squarespace.com. Make sure you use offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. And thank you to Squarespace for their support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Okay, how about Siri integration? I mean, we've been waiting for Siri to talk to third-party apps all these years, and now it does, right? Me. That, that this one is really there's not a lot to say about it. They they've opened it up, but they've opened up the very specific categories of applications. It allows messaging apps, ride booking, photo search, 
uh, workout apps. Like you can start a workout in different apps other than Apple's app. Uh, you can make payments and do VoIP calling. So that's it. They've, they've picked these categories and they've created um, kind of an intelligence around the things those apps do. So Siri can go through and try and parse what you're saying and make it happen in these third-party apps. Uh, as we go to publish this, there's not a whole lot of feedback on it yet because a lot of these apps are still figuring it out themselves. One of the things that I, I thought was interesting, and I went back and rewatched the WWDC keynote in preparation for this episode. And at the very beginning, when they were talking about the features of iOS 10, they mentioned that Siri was going to be opened up to developers. And there was tremendous applause in in the in the hall. And they spent probably five minutes talking about these features and demoing them. It was a very short segment. And then when Craig said, and that's the Siri feature, you know, when he wrapped it up, there was just polite applause. Yeah. And he explained that further again at the talk show event because everybody was kind of upset about it. And he said, look, there's there's different ways to implement this stuff. Um, we are not doing it in a way where you can script Siri, in essence, where uh, people have to say magic words in a magic order. I mean, that's one of the, as much as I like the Amazon Echo, it really is one of the things where you have to learn the secret incantation for whatever it is you want it to do and say the words in the right order. And if you do, it works great. And if you don't, it just doesn't work at all. Siri's trying to do a better job of understanding what you're saying, uh, get from that your intentions and then turn that into something. And the reason why the Apple's explanation for why they can't open up Siri to everything is that's really hard. So what they're doing is trying to pick some of the most common apps that they think this would be a feature that they would want and and try to implement it in a way that no matter what app you're using, that that they can make it work. And I don't know if this is just them talking, but that's their explanation. Like interestingly, one of the things they didn't add to this first level, and it's one of the things I use voice for the most, is triggering music, right? I mean, I use Siri every day to start playlists and play Apple music. Um, but that is frankly kind of a reason why you might want to use Apple Music over a competitor because Siri works with it. And you wonder, right? How come they didn't do it with the other music services? But uh, but anyway, for better or worse, uh, at this point, Siri integration exists, but it's limited to those categories. And uh, I think the proof will be in the pudding. Let's see what they what they provide on this stuff. The other uh, new feature we got was HomeKit. And we've all been waiting for better HomeKit integration. At least now there is a dedicated home app on the phone before you had to use a third party app, uh, which was nice. It was nice to be able to have a third party app. Yeah. But I have been pretty underwhelmed with the the HomeKit app on the phone. Uh, it, it will detect your devices. It will allow you to create kind of I'm I'm home and I'm leaving type scenes where certain devices turn on when you tell Siri you're home or certain devices will turn off when you tell Siri good night. Um, but it still doesn't really give you the ability to break things out into rooms or to designate certain devices into certain rooms. I've still found that that all has to be done with third party apps. Yeah, I, I feel like because um, I have a bunch of uh, Philips Hue bulbs and a couple other HomeKit friendly things in my home. And I've been using this. Uh, it's you know, there, there are some points here, like you can access it from Control Center, which we really haven't talked about Control Center. Let's go back to that. Um, uh, but it's it's really not as good as it should be, in my opinion. This whole home automation stuff feels to me kind of like a hot mess. 
And part of it's because you have all these different people making stuff and everybody has different protocols and they everybody wants to own the protocol. So nobody's willing to have like one universal standard that works on everything. And I, I can't help but feel like the other penny just hasn't dropped with this stuff yet. It, it is not easy enough. Like my, just my family where I've got all these hue bulbs and what my wife was just saying the other day, she said, you know, this automation stuff is just more trouble than it's worth. It, it doesn't work a hundred times, you know, out of a hundred times. Once in a while, just things just don't connect for one reason or another. And yeah, I've built like switches in our house and we have ways to get around it. But but it feels to me like we're we're just not quite there yet. And I feel like we should be. I still find, honestly, the best device for home automation in my home is Alexa, is the Amazon Echo. But by far, I I will, I've got an Apple Watch on my wrist and I've got a phone in my pocket and I will walk into another room where I have Alexa so that I can trigger something with Alexa because it works almost all the time and she has access to devices that Apple doesn't. I, I've, I have actually found myself summoning Alexa some, from my car and thinking, mm, this is not going to work. Um, hey, let's just take a quick audible. This is in the outline, but I want to talk about the control center is different. You know, and it's a little jarring because there's a couple of things. Um, you, you swipe up controls and always it's been there. You swipe up from the bottom and, and there's some of the most common controls you have for your device. Um, they have, I think the design of this thing is, is try to become more, you know, you do more things. So it's got three panes now. It used to be just one pane, which made it very simple. Now, if you swipe uh, to from right to left, you've got your music controls. If you swipe one more time, you've got all your home kit controls. So now there's three different screens. Now it will respect whichever one you were on last. So like if you're listening to music or a podcast and you've got uh, the, those controls on your control center, it's really easy. It's got the, the buttons there just relate to audio. You can change the volume. One thing you can do here that I think is a super um, useful addition is you can change the Bluetooth device or whatever device you're playing your music or audio through. So if you're switching from the phone speaker to your Bluetooth headset, you can do it right from control center. It's respectful of whatever you had up last. So if you swipe up and you go over to the audio controls, the next time you swipe up, you'll see the audio controls again. But it does add a, a degree of complexity because now you've got multiple screens there. At first, I thought it was a bad idea. Now, having used it for this beta period, I kind of like it, but I would have changed a few things. For instance, if you look at the main control center screen, the night shift button spans the whole width of the device. And to me, I think night shift is something that you, you just very rarely need. See, I just turn it on and leave it on and it comes it comes on automatically and it goes off automatically. And I don't I've never touched it again. Yeah. And I don't know why it got so much merit there. Uh, the 3D touch stuff we talked about earlier, like you can in control center, you can 3D touch on the camera and it'll take you to record a video or slow-mo or take a selfie. You know, a bunch of these buttons now have additional features. Like if you uh, 3D touch on the calculator, you get a copy of the last result, saves it to your text buffer. Uh, a lot of this stuff is really great. You can set a timer uh, by clicking on the timer. So I think control center got better but it is a new design. And uh, what I would say is stick with it. I mean, if I had to choose between the old one and the new one, I would definitely keep the new one now having used it for a few months. But at the beginning, I wasn't sold. Yeah, I'll tell you, I, it took me a while too, because one of the things that I use Control Center most often for is audio playback. Uh, if I'm playing a podcast or something and I've already got my iPhone unlocked, 
just swiping up and flipping forward, flipping back or, or fast forwarding, rewinding, playing any of those types of things. I would always do that in control center and I'd swipe up in the first several days that I was using iOS 10. It, it, it was not there. Where is it? And that was so frustrating because I liked having access to that on the first page. Well, you have to swipe to the side to see it. And with that brings additional features and additional capabilities, but also an additional level of frustration too. I thought you should know just a little real time f- uh, feedback as we've been talking here. Our, our pal Liana Lehua, occasional guest on the show, has sent me a BB-8 sticker. <laughs> of course, she so it's already happening. And uh, interestingly, if you just tap on it, it there is a way to tap uh, on the attribution under the sticker and go ahead and it takes you to the store, so you can buy that set of stickers yourself. Now, when you send a sticker to somebody in messages, even if they don't have the sticker pack, they will be able to view it, but they can't send it unless they buy the pack. Right. Okay. Uh, let's continue with some more iOS 10 stuff. I still want to get to the watch. Um, Apple Music. Uh, so angry. This makes me so, so angry. Why are you so angry? I, well, okay. I do. I'm not an Apple Music subscriber. And and we've, we've talked about why. You know, I'm just not a huge music person. Whatever. This new reincarnation of Apple Music is so Apple Music focused. It has so de-emphasized my music that it it drives me crazy. So when I open the the music app, where's my stuff? There is one tab that's devoted to my music library. And there I can see my playlist, my download. I have to then tap in to see my playlist, my downloaded music, my artists. There's no longer a tab at the bottom where I can see my playlist. Um, there's no longer a tab at the bottom that I can adjust to see my artist or any more information. Um, you know, it is it is all about Apple Music all the time. So even when I went into settings and turned off Apple Music, well, Apple kindly removed all that stuff from the Apple Music. So now I only have three tabs at the bottom of Apple Music. I have library, radio, and search. And so now I have all this empty white space and I still don't have a spot where I can see my playlists and other information. Okay. But in fairness, if you tap on library uh, in the new design, it gives you your playlist, artists, albums, songs, all that stuff is there. Yes. But now I have to type on, tap on library and then I have to tap on something else and then I have to go tap and see my stuff. There's all this space now at the bottom when I've turned off all the Apple music junk. Why, why can't I have my playlist down there? I I think that your anger is a little um a little extreme, but I, I I'm just not judging, but I'm just saying it's one tap, one extra tap. But I also agree with you. It's a needless tap. That space along the bottom of the screen has always been user manageable. I mean, I had you could have podcasts in that row if you wanted in the old days, and now it's not. It's decided by Apple. You can take things off the list, like you've done with the Apple Music stuff. But why can't you have your playlist be one of those tabs across the bottom of the screen? I don't know. I, I feel like you're right on that in that regard. I don't know if it it doesn't make me super angry. Part of it is because I am an Apple Music subscriber and I use those tabs. But the um, um, uh, I I do think that the the design of it is it's like the driving app. It feels like it's a lot easier to get into stuff now. It's it's easier to um to find my music than it was before. I feel like the overall the design as an Apple Music user is better. All right, so you're an Apple Music subscriber. What do you think of the app? I like it. I mean, it's it's good enough. I mean, I don't I don't feel strongly for or against it. I think the improvements to it make it easier for me to discover new music, for me to to use my existing playlist, and 
my music is all jumbled up between the stuff I've downloaded and, um, and uploaded to the service and the stuff that I get through the Apple music subscription. And I find generally what I want in, in pretty fast, uh, ways. Uh, one thing I have not been able to figure out like on the Mac and, and iTunes, you can browse categories. Like they have like new, new releases in Apple music and you can browse that by genre. And I just want to see the new jazz releases. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out how to do that in the iOS 10 music app. And maybe it's not even possible. So some of this needs work, but I don't feel as angry about it as most people do. <laughs> uh, Apple Mail uh, has got a few different things. I mean, uh, uh, first of all, let's just pour one out to say that I think they're never going to add the sharing button to Apple Mail that I ask for every year because we've gone another year and it's not there. Clearly, at this point, they've just decided they don't want to have the sharing button. So if you want to save an email as a PDF or do some other things with it, uh, you're going to have to use a third-party app. And we've talked about a several on the show, Airmail and Dispatch are two really good ones for that. Um, they have gotten better at handling conversations and, and specific messages. Like if you have a series of messages in a, in a thread, you can reply to a specific message just by swiping it and pulling to the left. One thing I did not like by default is that in conversation view, the newest message was on the bottom, which I understand makes sense chronologically, but did not make sense for me, particularly on the small screen of the iPhone. Um, if you go into the mail settings, you can change that. And that made a, I almost turned conversation view off. But once I realized that you could change the settings so that the newest message is on the top, uh, it made a world of difference for me. And I liked it a lot better. So it got some nice little touches. It's not a massive redesign. I, if you didn't like Apple Mail before, you're not going to like it now. If you liked it before, you'll probably like the new changes. Right. Let's talk about some other kind of little miscellaneous uh, nice touches. Uh, QuickType got a bunch of changes. I personally have found it hasn't been quite as good as advertised, but I think this is something that will get better with time the more that we use it. Uh, one of the things now is that it will do some contextual predictions. So you can share contact information. If you start typing your email address, it will figure that out and it will give you the option to autofill it. If you start typing your address, it will figure that out and will give you some information to autofill it. It's basically pulling from uh, things that are already on your phone as well as things that you've done recently. All of this stuff is them trying to get more predictive and make it easier for you to get information across. Um, I use the quick type stuff quite a bit because I'm a slow thumb typer. So if I see a word as I start typing a character or two, I will tap on it. Uh, do you use it just generically even before I was 10? Not often. I really didn't. Um, sometimes, but not often. I do like the recent addresses. That's something I've found I've used several times now uh, in the iOS 10. Um, beta. One of the things that I'm particularly excited about are some of the changes to the phone app itself. Now, I, I haven't had an opportunity to use any of these in practice because I haven't seen a lot of apps that are out yet. This is an area where we're going to have to see app developers update. But the two big features that we see um, in iOS 10 is that there's some plugins that are coming to the phone that are going to give you the ability, hopefully, to combat some of the spam. And this is getting to be a horrible problem. Uh, probably at least once a day, uh, I get a junk call on my phone, a, a spam call, an auto a robo call. 
And I know that Apple is trying to is, is part of a coalition that's working with the FCC on this. And this is one of their their first steps to do that. But Apple is not actually taking the step to do it. They've built the plug in and then they're going to the, the plug in infrastructure. And then they're relying on third parties to actually build the apps and the databases to plug in to tell you, yeah, this number is probably spam or, or no, it's not. I just haven't seen a lot of those update or come to the to the store yet. Yeah, I think time will tell. But I mean, they're. Uh, look, they're clearly interested in trying to make it more convenient and getting just like they don't want the stuff in your mailbox. They don't want it uh, coming in as phone calls either. Yeah. I mean, I've got to the point where if I don't recognize a phone number, I just don't answer the call. Right. That's that's about where I am. Um, the two other features we saw is um, one uh, VoIP calling plugs in plugins are coming. Uh, I use a VoIP phone for my new law practice. Mine is not one of the big popular ones like like Vonage or, or Skype or one of those. Uh, it's it's one of the less popular ones. So my particular provider has not implemented this yet. Every time I see it, I, I'm, I'm looking for a software update to see if they do. But hopefully it's just a matter of time. Well, you know what? So overall, I, we've got a whole separate section here on Apple Watch. And I think we're going to save it for next week because we're going to cover Mac OS and that's not as extreme changes. So I think we'll have more time next week anyway. Um. But just looking overall at the iOS 10 update, you've been using it a couple of weeks. What do you think of it? I think it's a solid update. Um, I I think you uh, there's there's no reason not. How's that for a double negative? There's no reason not to um, to upgrade. This is not an update that you need to be afraid of. This is not a massive change. This is um, not a crazy redesign. There's some nice enhancements. There's some nice refinements. I can't and and I'm running on an iPhone six. And aside from a few incompatibilities that we've talked about, like I really can't take advantage of the uh, 3D touch features and I don't have the fancy raise to wake feature, I have not noticed any problems on my iPhone with iPhone 10. You know, a lot of people say, oh, the new the new iOS made my old phone run so much slower. Uh, I have not noticed that at all. You know, something about Apple, everybody always wants to see what they're going to do to change the world again. You know, they, they made the iPhone... 10 years ago and you know it was it was earth shattering you know change everything uh so everybody always gets hung up on well this doesn't change the world again i mean this is just iterative changes and evolution of things and i feel like they don't get credit for that i think they do iterative changes very well and this is definitely a year about that you're going to hear about more about this next week when we talk about sierra it has some of the same things where they took you know abrasive points in their operating system, things that just cause you a little bit of trouble every time you use it. And they made it a little better and everything works a little better. And I, I really like it when Apple drills down and does that stuff. I think some of their best work is when they try to just take things and add a little bit of polish to them. And this is a great uh, operating system that does that. And I think everybody's going to like it. So check it out. Let us know what you think. I'm sure we've missed some uh, little nuggets in there. We went an hour and a half and we still have more in our outline. But if there's something new about this operating system that you feel like we absolutely should have shared, let us know. We'll cover it in the feedback show later this month. Yes. And your tips. If you've got special tips for um, for iOS 10 or if you've got favorite apps, because by the time the feedback show comes around, more of these apps are going to be updated. More of uh, developers will have updated things. If you've got a great plugin for sending time delayed messages or if you've got a plugin for for dealing with spam apps, Send those in. And, and the way that you can send those is to yeah, send us. We love the audio comments. You can send those. Keep them under two minutes to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Uh, or you can just send us a plain old email. We, we take those, too. 
Uh, but you can also uh, send us a tweet. Uh, the show is at Mac Power Users. I'm at Katie Floyd, and Dave is at Max Barkley. Yeah, and Katie, I think you should check your phone because I'm sending you some stickers right oh, now. Oh, boy. Yep. All right. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.